How many of you feel like you're stuck in a cycle? And I'm not just talking about the endless cycles of laundry. I'm talking about a cycle of sin, guilt, shame, repentance, and back again. This is going to be an episode that's a bit of a squirmin, a sermon that makes you squirm. But stick around and you'll hear an amazing message of hope. So go grab your coffee and get ready, because here we go. This isn't a game of ding dong ditch. And don't worry, I'm not a solar panel salesman. I'm just here to see you, friend. Whether you have spit up stains and cluttered counters, or you're still in your heels from work and just getting dinner started, take a minute and come sit with me. Welcome to the JAR podcast with your host, Lydia, certified teacher, homeschool boy mom, oh Lord help me, and marriage ministry leader, bringing you tough lessons from my own journey to soul health and wholeness. Together each week, we'll discuss our struggles, pain, and shame. We'll combat labels and lies with biblical truth, and we'll work through our mess and come out stronger, more confident, and rooted in our identity in Christ. So move your pile of laundry over. Better yet, let me help you fold it while we talk. Thanks for letting me in. Now let's get real. In my parents' old house, there was this big, gigantic wooden spinning wheel that was my great-grandmother's, and we weren't supposed to touch it, but of course, my sister and I would sneak in and spin it around and around and around, and we enjoyed playing with it. But that image stuck in my mind as I was preparing for this episode because today we're going to talk about the sin cycle and not only the different spokes on the wheel, but also why we go through this cycle and sometimes how quickly that cycle can repeat as if it is the spinning wheel going faster and faster. And so today we're going to start by talking about the Israelites who are probably pretty notorious for following God, loving God, and then painfully going through consequences due to their chronic rebellion that they just, they kept going through this cycle over and over again. And if you've read any about them in the Bible, you'll know that God rescued them from slavery in Egypt and brought them through Uh, the Red Sea and into the wilderness to get to a promised land. But along the way, the Israelites so quickly forgot what God was doing for them and would complain, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we need this, we need that. And he would provide even when they asked, yet they still fell into worshiping false idols when Moses was away and they had to suffer consequences for their sin. And they would always come back to this place of realizing they needed God and crying out to God and he would redeem them and rescue them. And another sort of example of the sin cycle, or really more an example of how quickly you can fall into the cycle, is based off of this study I'm doing from Priscilla Shire, um, the study of Elijah. She referenced this as well, and it's basically going from King Jeroboam to King Ahab and the increasing level of evil that was done and how it ended up getting that way. And so when I thought about that, I thought about this sin cycle as well, how it started off with a little bit of compromise, a little bit of 
uh, tolerance and ended up becoming flat out division and rebellion against God to where they're worshiping a pagan God instead of the one true God. And so King Jeroboam, he starts with being tempted to keep his people close to him. So he creates these um, statues of some sort. I think they're golden calves, but he doesn't want his people traveling to Judah to where they usually go and worship. He wants to keep them close and keep them loyal. And so he gives them something to sort of represent God, so to speak, and deems that appropriate. And so he's tempted out of selfish ambition and leads to compromise, compromising what the values are for the Israelite people. And then it leads to refusing, which means not willing to do, or it's a matter that's thrown away as trash or declining to accept something. So it leads to the people not willing to go where they usually go or the king taking that value and throwing it out like trash. And that leads to outright rebellion. And rebellion means resisting authority and wanting to have control over self. And I think that's a really key factor in our sin cycle, in ourselves. When we are tempted to do something and we end up compromising Little things here and there. It might not seem like a big deal in the moment, but add it up. And with time, it's just sliding down that wheel, starting to turn that wheel to refusing to accept what God is offering. Maybe it's a way out. Maybe it's refusing to do what we know is right because we want full control over our lives, which is always a disaster, by the way. (laughs) And so we resist authority. We resist what we know is right and true that God says in his word. And then once we rebel, what does that usually lead to? We usually feel guilty because we know we've done something wrong. If we don't feel guilty, that's probably a problem that we don't have that truth to as a basis to go by. But that guilt turns into regret. And to regret means to feel sad and disappointed over a missed opportunity or to feel bad for ourselves because we know We know there's a consequence and it's more that we just don't want to feel the consequence. And it's a little bit of a shoulda, coulda, woulda, too late type of feeling. It's not quite repentance. It's just this sinking feeling, which is good to remember. It's that wheel sinking down to the bottom part of that cycle, which is where shame leads us. So guilt leads to regret leads to shame and shame is what ruins us. So at the bottom of the sin cycle, the bottom of that wheel is where we are ruined. And ruined had several definitions, and all of them are appropriate. It says to fall headlong with a crash, destruction or disintegration of someone's life, ouch, to reduce to a state of decay or collapse, irreparable damage or harm. It's pretty much just ruined. Um, our connection with God is ruined because we're on the opposite end of the wheel from him, the opposite end of that cycle where we should be at the top in rest and right standing relationship with him. We're ruined, or at least we feel like we're ruined forever because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross, which we'll get to. We don't have to stay there. 
So what do we do in this state of ruined? A lot of us, if we've been in that state for very long, we, we wrestle, we grapple, we struggle with being far from God. It's a, it's an uncomfortable feeling. It, it feels very broken and often we are isolated. Nobody really knows, or maybe we've opened up or we've disguised it as, oh, I'm feeling down when really it's something that we, we know what we did. If we were just honest for a minute, we know why we're here. Again, it's it. this has to do with sin and not something that's been done to us. That's a different um, story. But this is when we ourselves have done something. We have rebelled and refused and had regret and now we're ruined. So now what? I kind of think of... You know, this is the Saturday before Easter, and maybe you're listening to this after Easter, which is fine, because it'll still relate, but how do we get from the bottom to the top? We are pretty, pretty weak at this point. We don't have the energy. We don't have the means to rescue ourselves from the bottom. If we're shattered in pieces, there's no way that we're rebuilding ourselves. And I think of after Jesus died on the cross... There was a whole day in between his death and his resurrection. That Saturday was filled with silence. That Saturday was filled with sorrow. His closest friends, some of them who had just betrayed him, were suffering in in sadness. Some of them who, who maybe believed or understood what he had been trying to tell them about his body resurrecting probably still didn't fully grasp what was going to happen. And I'm sure those days were filled with a lot of regret and feeling ruined. And even going to um, the Roman soldier who probably was physically the closest to Jesus on the cross as he stood there watching. And he had that moment of regret of truly this was the son of God. And sort of the the closer that we are to Jesus, the more realization we have of just how far away from him we've gotten, which can be a good thing because that's kind of what begins to pull us out. So for just a second, let me say that this Saturday silence can be sort of your rock bottom. Maybe it's a a waiting period. Maybe it's not knowing what's going to happen. Um, when my husband and I were separated, it was, who knows what's going to happen? Will this end? Will it not? It's that period of waiting and feeling uncertain. Maybe it's you, you are feeling some of the consequences. You are filled with remorse and regret, and you're going through some pretty tough stuff. I'm sure after Peter had denied Jesus three times, and then he heard that rooster crow, he instantly felt that guilt. And probably on that Saturday was, was feeling pretty, pretty down. So he's wrestling and grappling and struggling as he feels ruined. But then comes Sunday. How do we get to that point of resurrection? The next step after being ruined, is conviction. Not condemnation, conviction. As the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. 
if you believe and you've been saved, you are not condemned because of what you've done. I am not condemned because of what I've done. There's conviction. Conviction leads to recognition, which is kind of taking the emotion out of it. It's sort of an objective look at your sins and being able to recognize and and say, this is what I've done. And I want to reference Psalm 51. And I recommend that you read the whole thing for yourself. But I'm just going to read a couple verses. This is King David after he's um, sinned. And he's praying for restoration. He says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. And that that is where we need to be, is convicted, recognizing our sin, and recognizing that it's him that's going to pull us out. So we're slowly coming back up, up that other side of the wheel. After we recognize, we need to relinquish, which is the definition is to voluntarily cease to keep or claim or to give up. So we need to voluntarily cease to keep or claim our sin, to give up whatever it is that we had done let it go, leave it behind, and walk away. That leads us to a posture of humility so that we can properly confess to the Lord. If we're still hanging on to something in the past, we can't move forward while we're still being dragged back. That's not going to happen. When you fully relinquish, you let go. And that humility of leaving that behind and feeling pretty vulnerable at this point of help me, it's kind of the... I picture someone reaching up and they've let go of whatever they were holding on to, to to hang on halfway and they have to fully let go in order to leap and grab on to the hand that's reaching down to them. And then after confessing needs to be repentance, which is even more so than just confession. It's, it's a sincere remorse. It's a sincere desire to walk away and do something completely different. It's different than just saying, I'm sorry. It's more of a complete confession of I'm sorry for and asking for forgiveness. So once we've repented and forgiveness is offered, it's receiving that forgiveness and understanding that now Christ can resurrect whatever was ruined. He can resurrect whatever we deemed as trash, whatever we threw out as unvaluable. He can make it valuable again. Just as he was resurrected, whatever was dead in us is resurrected in him, which leads to restoration, which is returning to a former owner or condition. I love that definition, returning to former owner. We belong to him, not to our sin, not to our rebellion. We belong to him. So after he restores us, he reclaims us and he reminds us of who we are. I was just watching um, season one, about halfway through, watching season one of The Chosen. I've been wanting to watch it for so long. And they're showing um, episodes from season one in preparation to launch season two. And the very end of the very first episode, Mary Magdalene has been struggling mentally and, and being showed her being possessed and 
Jesus walks in at her lowest of lows right after she had attempted a, a suicide. And he calls her by name. He calls her by a name that she hasn't heard in years. And he calls her Mary. And she immediately knows something's different about him because she's not called by who she was. She's called by who she is in him. And he looks at her and he says, you are mine. He reclaims her and he reminds her that she belongs to him. He's redeemed her. And now this is at the top when you are in right standing relationship. You are at rest with God. You are back at the top, no longer at the bottom in ruins. You are now at rest in him. That is the, the hope of the resurrection of Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. That is the hope that we have every time that we fall into sin. How long we stay ruined, how long we wrestle and grapple and struggle with what we've done, that part's on us. That part's on us to quickly get to the point of conviction and recognition. I think there's factors involved with how quickly we get out of it. Some of it is our own. Some of it is the people in our lives. The more people that are surrounding you that have the ability to speak truth into your life, who can aid in the conviction by calling out the sin, and the more that you are walking with the Lord, the quicker you can get out of that bottom place. If you are surrounded by people who tell you the same message of the world or who tell you that you you deserve better, so keep doing what you're doing or you do you or as long as it's not hurting anybody, you do what you want. If it's a sin, it's a sin and it's going to keep you in ruins until you are convicted and you recognize and you relinquish. And so I want to leave you with a couple verses here. Isaiah 43. I'm going to have to open my Bible up to that. Isaiah chapter 43. There are a couple verses here. I'm just going to read to you some highlighted portions. And it says, this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, the one who formed you, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called, I have called you by your name. You are mine. Because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. My daughters, I have formed you. Indeed, I have made you. Only God has the the ability to define you. Not your sin, not how many times you sin, not the type of sin, just him. And here are a few ways that he defines you. And as I look at this spinning wheel cycle, on my piece of paper, which again, if you are not yet a part of the JAR podcast community on Facebook, I want you to find it and join it because I'll put a visual up for you there. But I have highlighted the main four spokes of that wheel. Rest, rebellion, ruined, repentance. And guess what? They make the shape of a cross. And the only way to get through that cycle is remembering the cross. So I want to, he calls you beloved. You are his treasured possession. You are his child. You are free. You have been redeemed. You have been and you will be restored. You have been and can be forgiven. He 
not only names you, he pursues you and, and he cares for you personally. Ask you if you will spend this time around Easter truly letting the Lord reveal to you any sin that you might have. Read Psalm 51 for yourself, the whole thing, and ask the Lord to reveal sin that maybe you don't yet recognize. Maybe you're feeling some guilt and shame, but you don't really know why. Maybe you're in that season of wrestling and you're grappling and struggling with something and you need a way out. Or maybe you're just on your way, girl, and you need to, before you get to rebellion, take that hand and not refuse it and don't compromise. Ask God to give you a clean spirit so that you can walk in freedom as a forgiven child of God and rest in right standing relationship with him. Second Corinthians 4.15 All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you can be the first to know when new episodes drop and please share with a friend. So I'll call you in five minutes. Please tell me that you know what movie that's from and I promise I'll be your best friend. Just kidding. I'll see you next Saturday, same time, same place.